And hopefully you have your pen. We're going to study God's Word in the next few minutes. And uh, you can, you can kind of hold on to that for a minute because I'm going to run a real quick uh, point of personal contact with you before I do that. Um, and then we'll get into the word that we're going to be studying from Romans chapter 12 today. Well, last weekend I mentioned something to you, and I wanted to mention it again in case you weren't here with us last weekend to kind of give you a vision for what's happening in the, in, in, on, our, on our physical plant here, on our property, what we're doing, and then, um, and then what, our, what, what kind of the forecast is. So first of all, if you're kind of new to Harvest Point, welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, Harvest Point is a church that will celebrate 15 years of age uh, this next year, when we get to Easter, we'll be 15 years old. Um, I like to tell people, I have a 16-year-old that lives in my house. I know what 15-year-olds and 16-year-olds act like. Uh, we're trying to learn our way. We know how to do certain things. That's who Harvest Point is, and God has blessed us with a great church. We'll turn 15 next Palm Sunday, 2016. Uh, but we are very excited that in March of this year, we finished our building project. We've been building here for the last year. This is our new home. Um, there are a lot of folks who have been unconnected with church um, or, or not, not involved in church life or maybe even uh, wondering where, where in the world they were supposed to be or what, what's going on in their, in their spiritual life. And they're connecting in with us here at Harvest Point. And that's so cool. So um, we're so glad that there are many folks here who have come to this location and you've never been to any of our other locations across that 15-year span and you're calling this your home. So this is uh, this building. We, uh, we, we're loving our building. Right now, the building is having to host a lot of our ministries, and our youth and our children especially, beyond this back wall here, are having to kind of be on top of one another um, until we get our house done. Now, many of you don't know that we've got a house on the back side of the property, a three-story house back there that we're renovating, and we're going to be calling that the Youth Lodge. Um, the work has already started on it, and we have more work to do. It's going to take us about two to three months. We're hoping to get them in there before Christmas. And the cool thing will be that the youth will actually have a... A house, when I say youth, by the way, I'm talking middle school, high school, and college ministries, they'll have a place that is their own. Inside, uh, if you, when you go in that, that first level, inside will be a, a kind of welcome gathering place where they can check in. There'll also be some game rooms. There'll be a cafe on the main level. Then on the top level, there'll be classrooms. On the very bottom level will be their worship area. They'll be able to hold about 80 youth at a time, and they're going to probably rock that place out. On the outside, they want to build all kinds of stuff that we don't even know about yet. They want to build. They're, they're talking uh, beach volleyball for sure, you know. They're talking basketball goals. I've even heard paintball. Who knows what all is going to go on outside the house. But, but the cool thing is that um, we, we've gotten our, all of our permitting done with the county. They've, they've green-lighted the, the project. Now we're just ready to get it done. Now, what I shared with you last week, wanted to remind you of, uh, or maybe share with you guys, some of you, if, if this is your first time hearing it, some of this building actually sucked away some of that money. For the last three years, our congregation has sacrificed, and we've given through a, through a project we called Homeward Bound, because we were homeward bound, right? We were coming to our new home, and uh, a lot of folks sacrificed, but there were some overruns in this building, and right now, in order to do that project, we've got to, like, $35,000 in, the, in, the, uh, in our savings account to be able to do it, but it's really going to be another additional $60,000 to, to finish that project. So um, I challenged you guys last week to help us step back into that. Um, now, what do you mean by that, Stephen? Well, um, it's not comfortable that we don't have all the funds we need to finish that project, but it's a project that we know we need to finish. And it is a project that really gets our, our youth their own place and allows our children's ministry to have the fullness of their classrooms and their auditorium. But here's the cool thing. 
um, I, don't know, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but the way God works in our life is, yes, he is Jehovah Jireh, and he provides for us, but have you ever noticed that sometimes God provides, like, right here for you? And have you ever noticed that? He's, like, right here for you, and, and because here's the deal. If he provided right here for you, you'd never need faith. You'd never be going, okay, God, and you'd be thinking you just had it all under control. But what, what God often does is he provides right here for you, and he says, are you going to trust me for the rest? And so what I challenged you guys to do last week, and I want to tell you some cool stuff about how people have already started leaning into this, is I challenged you, especially those of you who have given to Homeward Bound, that's been part of your commitment, and if you've never done it, listen, we still need you. We need folks right now, Harvest Pointers, to lean into this thing and help us to underwrite this thing. We, we've got to sacrifice over the next two or three months to really get this thing finished. Um, so I'm, I'm asking you to do that, and here's what I, I told our, our, our building committee and our trustees. If we do our part, God will do his part. And then we get to step back and say, look at God, what you did. So um, last week, uh, we had $6,000 already given into that project, which is basically a tenth. In one week, we had a tenth given um, really by about uh, four families. And so the door is wide open for more of our families to step into the challenge like their families did, right? And so I'm very grateful for the folks who've already started to give. I want to challenge you at the end of our, at the end of our service today, when you give, and I'm not talking about taking away from the, the, the ministry that you already support through our tithes and offerings. If, if you have the ability to give a special gift anytime over the next three months, we need to lean into this thing together and get that youth house finished. Amen? Amen. That's what we're going to see God do. And we're going to stand back and go, look at God. Look how you did it. Hey, um, grab that outline. Grab your Bible or your technology device that you're reading your Bible on. Grab that pen. We're going to be taking some notes. Now, we're in a series right now, uh, and it's called uh, True Spirituality. And I hope that you've been tracking with us along. If you've not, by the way, all of the messages that we ever do are located on our website, harvestpointumc.com, or they're on iTunes. And if you like what you hear and you miss the first two messages today and you go, man, what, what did I miss out of Romans 12.2 and Romans 12.1? It's very easy to go back and grab that stuff off of our podcast. Now, what have we talked about thus far? Where have we gone in Romans 12.1 and Romans 12.2? Let me just remind you. Let me recap real quickly. Romans 12 is a picture of what it really looks like to be a Christ follower. And, Christ follower. and one of the things we've talked about is this, this world, the greatest need in the world right now is for Christians really to act like Christians, not to, not to say they're Christians and then act like the rest of the world, but to really act like Christians. And Romans 12 is like a Polaroid picture of the Christian life. And what Paul does in Romans 12, and it's a scripture that God first poured into my life when I was 14 years of age in, in southern France when I was a little youth missionary uh, praying about how to give my life to God. I felt called in ministry, and we had to memorize Romans 12 every day, Romans 12.1, Romans 12.2, Romans 12.3, is God shows us in Romans 12 five different relationships, five relational spheres that you and I are to live in. And he tells us in each one of those spheres how we're supposed to live. And it's a picture. So the first one, Romans 12.1, was our relationship with God. And, and, and Romans 12.1, God, uh, Paul wrote these words. He said, I beg you, I urge you, I plead you by the mercies of God, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God. What he was saying was, your relationship with God, how, how is that supposed to look? It's surrender. 
God wants us to live in, an, in, a, in a daily mode of surrender with him, offering our bodies as sacrifices to him. So that's the first relationship, that vertical relationship, you and God. The second relationship, we talked about that last week, is your relationship with the world. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, and do not be conformed to this world or to the systems of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what is he saying about the world? That we're supposed to look separate. We're supposed to, the first relationship, be surrendered to God. Second relationship, we're supposed to be separate from the world. We're supposed to look different from the world. We talked about how you live that out. Now today, we're going to talk about the third sphere of relationship, and that is self, okay? He's going to tell us how we're supposed to think about ourselves. Hey, real quickly, look at your sermon message uh, title today, okay? I normally don't play a lot with titles, but I like this one, okay? I was playing around a little bit with this one. Who do you think you are, right? And, and we love that question. Who do you think you are? But today I'm going to talk to you about who do you think you are? Because God wants us to think a certain way about ourselves. And sometimes we can think of ourselves too highly, and sometimes we can think of ourselves too lowly, and he wants us to have the mind of Christ about who we are. Now, we're going to go in depth with that, but what you're going to learn is in that third relationship, we are supposed to think with sober judgment or, or have a sober assessment of ourself. Now, next week, if you join us next week, we're going to talk about that fourth sphere, and that's what, how we're supposed to live with other believers, and we're going to, we, God, Paul makes it very clear, we're supposed to be serving one another in love, and then the last week of the series, he, he tells us how we're supposed to live with unbelievers, and what happens when, when wickedness or evil or hurt or bitterness is poured into our life, how are we supposed to live, and boy, I'll tell you, as a 14-year-old, that one might have been more revolutionary than any, because he says, you're supposed to live as supernaturally responding to all that evil, all that junk, all that bad stuff, with good. And boy, I remember at 14 years old, I was like, uh-uh, that's too hard to do, I, I, you know. And then he said something cool right there at the end of Romans 12. He said, if you do this, you're going to pour coals of living fire over their head. I was like, oh, I'm going to figure that out. That sounds like fun. Let's do that. So anyway, we'll talk about that towards the end of this series. Today, I want to talk with you about you, okay? And let me be very clear. If it's okay, I should have wore a different shirt. We're going to roll up our sleeves, okay? We're going to roll up our sleeves, and we're going to get to work on us today, on how you think about you. But before we do that, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And oftentimes, hey, I, I love it. I said pray. You bowed your heads. Hey, look at me for a minute. Look at me for a minute. Eyes wide open. Today we're going to pray a little differently. We're going to pray what I call wide open eyes prayers, okay? We're going to, we're going to pray a prayer today, just a prayer of openness. And I want your eyes open because that's what we're going to pray, that God would open our eyes to who we really are in his eyes. So would you pray with me? Eyes wide open. God, I thank you for this time today. I thank you for every person who crawled out of their bed today and have come to your house to hear your word. I thank you that your word is true. I thank you that your word is life. And I thank you, God, that you come in the midst of who we are and all that we have going on and into our brokenness and into, into the things that we do right. And like a potter, you come and shape us. So today, God, put us on the wheel and remind us that you're the master potter and that you have a plan for us and that you have a good work to do in our lives. And give us your image of what you're creating, not our image, not the image of the world. Give us your image of the creations we were meant to be since the foundation of the world. We are open. 
We invite you to sow your word in our lives today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hopefully you have your outline there in front of you. Let's talk about that for a minute. You know, psychologists and theologians don't always agree, but one thing that we do agree on is that since, the very, since, since, since basically your birth, when you grow up, you're asking questions about who you are. And I've written some of those questions down. I want to begin today by getting you to think through some of those questions that you subconsciously or consciously have been trying to answer your whole life. Three big, big questions that every human throughout their life are having to answer about themselves, or or at least asking themselves, even if we don't always have the answer. The first one is this, who am I, or who are you? And we're oftentimes asking ourselves to to give us some kind of clarity about that, where the system we're in, the family we're in, the people that we are, clarify for us, you know, let me figure out who I am. Great children do this. You know, teenagers go through a whole phase of doing this. Who am I? You know, and we do it as adults. Another question is, where do I belong? Trying to find our place where we fit in. You know, sometimes there's a, sometimes we feel like the square peg in a round hole and we don't feel like we fit here or we fit there. Where do I fit in? And then another question that we often ask is, what am I supposed to do? And we, we start asking this at a very young age. I remember as a young boy, I remember thinking to myself, well, I just want, I wanted to be a police officer. I even, I would, I would be out in the backyard, I'd be playing games. Now, my name is Stephen Ustry, but I, I named myself Steve Jackson. I was Steve Jackson SWAT team, you know? And I was figuring out, what am I supposed to be? I had the dream of being a police officer at one time, of being a lawyer, and then I was going to be a medical doctor, and then I realized that blood made me pass out, so I wasn't going to be that. I, you know, I was trying to figure out who I was, where I belonged, and what I was supposed to do with my life. Now, here's the truth of the matter, guys. Uh, throughout your life, you are asking these questions, and sometimes you're pleased with your answers, and sometimes you're not. Sometimes you feel like you are really figuring out who you are and where you belong and what you're supposed to do, and sometimes you look at it and you go, man, I'm back to square one here. You doubt yourself. You don't know your own giftings, or you don't know about your place and your work or your family or, or maybe even your church, and, and there's sometimes that you even feel like the answers that you've come up with to these big life questions are superficial answers, and you just wonder about who you are and what you are coming. Now, here's what I want you to get. Fact. Most people that you and I live around, they live most of their life either wishing they were somebody else or trying to become something other than than they already are. I want you to think about that for a minute. Most people live their life either wishing they were something more or something else or trying to be somebody else or imitate somebody else because they don't really know the answers to these three questions. Who am I? Where do I belong? And what am I supposed to do with my life? Now, what, what I think is the issue is that sometimes we're not happy with our answers to these questions. Sometimes it seems like the answers are changing, you know. Some of you guys, y'all might say, you know, I, I, I was in this family, and then that family broke up, and then I had to find my place in my new family, you know. I, I was married here, and I thought I knew who I was here, and then that marriage ended, and I had to figure out all again, now who am I, and where do I belong, and what am I supposed to do? See how it changes sometimes, and see how it can vacillate, and you can struggle with the answer to that question. Now, here's the deal, and what, what I want you, what I want to push you on this morning is these three questions are big life questions, not just because every human answers them, but here's the deal, because they're hard to answer, okay? When you're a child, you might answer them one way, and a teenager, and then an adult, and then an adult, and an adult, all during your life, these, we can be a struggle to answer these 
big questions. And so notice in your outline there, I got a question for you. And here's the question. Why is it so hard to answer these three big questions that psychologists and theologians 100% agree that we're asking ourselves all during our lives? Why is it so hard? And that's what I want to push down and dig down with you this morning. Those three questions, who am I, where do I belong, and what am I supposed to do with my life, and what are the answers to those? Or maybe even better yet, what's God's answers to those for you? Now, here's where I want to dive into. We're going to, the first scripture we're going to dive in this morning is Genesis chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. I've put some of the scripture there in your outline, and it'll, it'll appear on the screens. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, I'm going to pick up the story. But you somewhat already know the story, right? Uh, Genesis chapter 3, the story of Adam and Eve, and they're in the garden, and we, we call it the fall. Theologians call it the fall, you know? And what happens is the, the great cosmic coup happens. Uh, the good God of the universe, the God who has a good plan for all of his creation, puts two folks in a perfect garden, and he says, you can have it all, but he puts one limitation on it, don't, don't touch this middle tree here, okay? And then you know what happens, Right? Uh, they, get, they get an idea, they get a trick, they get a, they get a little conversation with a serpent, and they go the wrong way, they bite the apple, they go against God's will, and then God shows back up in the garden, and that's where I want to pick up, all right? Now, read with me in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. They, that's Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife, notice it's both of them, the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. And then the Lord God called to the man and he said to him, where are you? Now, let me just real quickly, let me hit the pause button there. When God asks where Adam and Eve are and they're off hiding behind the trees, he's not asking an informational question, okay? He's not trying to figure out, oh, I wonder where they are. That's not, you know, God knows where they are, okay? He's asking a diagnostic question. He's not asking an informational question. He's trying to diagnose them and maybe helping them to diagnose themselves, all right? So he says, pick it up right there. He says, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. That's Adam talking. And by the way, I, I, I underlined some words for me. I've even put them in bold for you. Underline the word afraid, naked, and hid. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. We'll come back to those three words in a little while. And then God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? You know, I don't even, I, I've read this scripture a, a, what must be tens of thousands of times I've read this scripture before. But I don't think I, until this week I ever noticed that God only ever asks questions. He asks four questions back to back to back, helping them diagnose where they're at. He says, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the... You think God already knows this, right? Don't you think God knows it, right? H have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now, notice what the man said. By the way, men, this is not our most glorious moment, all right? We don't do very well here. I mean, the first, the first moment men are ever put under pressure, what do we do? We cave, right? And we point the finger at her. So here we go. It, it says, um, it says uh, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me by the way, did you notice he just deflected two different ways? He's not just pointing at the woman. Let me say it this way. The woman who you gave to me, you know, anybody but me. I didn't, it ain't anybody but me, right? He's blaming. He said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, 
she gave me from the tree and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, she had her own problems, uh, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent, notice, the serpent deceived me and I ate. There she goes pointing her finger as well. Men, let me just ask you, where would we be without the ladies, right? My classic answer when I was young was we'd still be in the Garden of Eden picking strawberries, right? No, no, no. That's blaming them, right? No. So they both bite the apple, and notice, where were we going with this? And they are hiding, they are naked, and they are afraid, all right? Now, the issue here is they, that they are struggling with their new place of sin, their new place of failing, They're even struggling with some of these bigger questions on who am I now because I've let you down and I've done exactly what you told me not to do. Now, I asked you that question a few minutes ago. Why is it so hard to answer those questions? And I think there are three obstacles, namely, that are in our way that keep us so much from being able to answer those questions. Write this first one down. And and the first one is this, and Adam and Eve are going to teach us this. Fear, we have fear that is oftentimes rooted in our shame. Fill that blank in. Fear that is rooted in our shame. They were ashamed that they had sinned. They had ashamed that they had dis- they were ashamed they disobeyed God. So what did they do? They hid from God behind the trees. Now, what are we talking about here? What has happened in this moment is a new a new realm, a new a new place of self consciousness has opened in Adam and Eve's life. When sin entered into them because they disobeyed God, now they are more self-conscious than they've ever been before. And, and they, what, what is the result of that? It is, they are afraid. It is fear. They are afraid because of what they have done. Let me just real quickly run a rabbit trail here. I want to tell you that there are a lot of people who live with fear because of what they've done. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but by and large, all of us, let's just own something as humans together for a minute. All of us, every one of us have messed up. And we have messed up royally and big. We've, met, we've, we've done wrong to people. We've told lies. We've done bad stuff. Okay, that's who we are. But here's what, here's what I want to tell you about all of us as well. So what we often do is because we, we know that we're not perfect, every human does this thing called image management. All right? Let's just own it together for a few minutes. We manage our images. Okay? We don't want you to know all the bad stuff we've done. So what we do, I, I read one guy, and he, he called it a hologram. What we do is we kind of put a hologram out there, all right? And the hologram is, this is who we are. We put an image out there that we want you to see. That's every person. That's not, that's not you know, if you're sitting here right now and you're going, well, that ain't me. Get real, okay? That's all of us. And I think what Adam and Eve are doing is they're, they're, they're afraid because they don't, want, they don't want God to see what they've done. They're ashamed of it, right? And their fear is rooted in their shame. What we oftentimes do is instead of letting our fear just live out and, and, and just saying, okay, I'm ashamed, here's what I did, what we do is we put our hologram out there. Now, I think what the, the issue is, is if we were able to strip away all the veneer, if we were able to take the hologram away and say, this is me, we'd be ashamed of who we are, right, because of what we've done. And we're afraid of how people will receive us because none of us are perfect. Will you still love me? Will you still care for me? Do you see how this works? I mean, this is every human that's ever walked the planet. This is just us and Adam and Eve are showing it to us that there is, whenever there is shame, whenever there is wrongdoing in our life, the natural outcropping of that is we're afraid because we don't want people to know. Now, 
three obstacles, I said, that keep us from answering the big questions. The first one is fear rooted in shame. So what do we do? We pose, we, we do the hologram, we do the image management thing, all right? Look at the next one. The next one is hiding rooted in insecurity. What we do oftentimes is we will hide our flaws and hide who we are, hide even some of our behaviors because we are insecure. I was reading the scripture this past week and a question came to mind. I thought, why hide? <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever wondered why Adam and Eve went off and they hid? Why did they hide? Didn't they know they were going to be found out? Of course they did. But you hide. Here's the, here's the answer to the question. You hide because you don't want to face that moment where the one who puts you in the garden comes along. Because what's going to happen when you have to face him? You know you're going to have to be honest with who you are, right? And so what you do is you hide because you're insecure in that moment. A very human response. A very natural, we all do this, okay? It's very easy to hide who we are and what we've done. We can do this in our marriages. We can do this in church life. We can do this in our work. It's very easy to hide who we are because we're insecure for what we've done. That hiding is, is so real. But I think what God wants us to do with our relationship with him is not hide, but say, okay, God, we're willing to face the truth. Here's who we are, okay? Here's who we are. So there is fear rooted in shame. There is hiding rooted in insecurity. And then write that next one down. Another obstacle that keeps us, or that, that is a barrier towards helping us answer those questions. It is blaming rooted in denial. And boy, is that clear in the text, right? There's all kinds of denial and blaming going on. Not me. I'm not the one who bit the apple. And, and, and here's, the, here's the issue. We don't want to, in those moments, own our own mistakes. It's easier for us to deflect. Man, Adam just, Adam is a deflector, right? And even Eve, she says, well, it's a serpent. We don't want to own our own mistakes. So it's, sometimes it's really a struggle. Those, those, those obstacles from the very beginning of creation are there, and they're there for us today. We, we can have fear. We can have hiding. We can be blaming all the time. Now, what I want to do is I want to talk to you today about who you are, who you really are, okay? Not who the world has told you you are, not who your family told you that you are, not even who you tell, you, you tell yourself you are when you look in the mirror. I want to talk with you about what the Bible says you are. I want to talk with you about your identity according to God's word. And here's what I want to tell you before we even dive into what God says, the answers are to the questions of who am I, where do I belong, and what am I supposed to do with my life? Before we even get to that, can I just tell you that if you can grab a hold of what we're going to study in the next few minutes, listen, young, old, alike, it doesn't matter. Baby Christian, been walking with God forever, it doesn't matter. If you can get what we're going to study in the next few minutes, it will transform how you parent. It'll transform how you work in your marriage. It'll transform your church life and your work life. If you could get what we're going to talk about, because at the end of the day, here's what I want you to understand. The most attractive person on the planet is the real you, not the hologram, not the person you're wanting to be one day, not the person you're trying to hide or, or blame or deny away. The most attractive person on the planet, if you could come to grips with it, is the real you, and that's who God made, different from everybody else on the planet, all right? Let's talk about God's answers to those questions. Who am I? Where do I fit? And what am I supposed to do with my life? Notice that first one. And this is where we're going to get to Romans 12, 2. I mean, Romans 12, 3 and beyond is so helpful. What does God say about who am I? Who are you? Romans 12, 3 uh, says this. For by the grace given to me, 
I say to every one of you, he's speaking to these Roman Christians up there and, you know, that, that he's trying to pour into. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. You got your pen? I want to get you to underline a few words there. I want you to underline the word think. Underline that real quickly. The word think. Underline the word ought. Underline the word think again. And then underline the words sober judgment, okay? What Paul is saying is, listen, I want you to make sure that your mind... Now, by the way, Romans chapter 2, Romans 12, 2, he just got through telling us that we were to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And then in Romans 12, 3, he says, now here's the deal with you. Be careful how you think. You ought not to think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment. By the way, that word ought in the Greek is actually a form of the word think. So what he's saying, the big point is here, be careful of what's going on in your mind because your mind is determining who you are. It's, it's answer, your mind is how you begin to grab, grapple and grip, uh, come to grips with the answer to that question, who am I? Now the words, <laughs> here are the words, sober judgment. Sober. Now, when I say the word sober, you help me. What comes to your mind? When I say sober, what do you think of? Yeah, you think normally, you think of alcohol, right? Or you think of a drunk, right? I mean, we think of a, a person who's sober as a person who's not drunk. And, and, and then we think of a person who's not sober as a person who is, right, inebriated, drunk, all right? Now, by the way, let's just, let's just have a little bit of fun for a minute. Have you ever seen happy drunks? Have you ever seen a, just a drunk? that I mean was the life of the party. I mean, they became something else when they got drunk. All of a sudden, they weren't even themselves anymore. Have you ever seen a mean drunk? You ever seen a mean drunk? You don't want to be around a mean drunk. I mean, they, they become somebody else. They're not even themselves anymore. You know? I mean, there are these angry, mean drunks. Have you ever seen the depressed drunk? I got depressed. You know? They were living a certain way. They got drunk, and all of a sudden, they got depressed, and everything's bad. Now, what's interesting, here, let's just, let's just figure this out. A drunk is a person who is not themselves, because now they're filled up with something that is outside of them. They get it all inside of them, and it makes them something that they are not. Are you tracking with me? Get the picture of what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, listen, I don't want you to be drunk. I don't want you to be the happy drunk who thinks too highly of yourself. I don't want you to be the depressed drunk. You think too, oh, you I don't want you to be the angry drunk. Look at the world did to me. It's my mom and daddy. Get over that. I don't want you to be drunk. I want you to be sober. And to be sober, what he's saying is, now we're going to have God's mind in our mind, okay? What he's saying, we're not, get this. Romans 12, 2, he says, don't be impacted, pressured, conformed by the world. Romans 12, 3, he says, and by the way, don't take the world so much into your mind and your family into your mind and your background into your mind and your failings into your mind. Don't get drunk off that stuff because the truth is you're going to be sober. You got to think who I think you are. You get my picture? Everything else is to be drunk. Everything else is to be drunk. Your successes, your failures, your mama, your daddy, your grandma, your granddaddy, your boss, that liked you and the boss that hated you. All that stuff gets you drunk. God's saying, listen, I want you to think the way you ought to think. You bet. I want you to think the way you ought to think, and I want you to think soberly, not drunk, right? 
It's a beautiful picture, and it helps us answer the question. Now I can figure out who am I. So you got that pen real quickly. What he's saying, he's, he's saying that we, here's the command. I want you to think of yourself accurately. I want you to think of yourself accurately. And that goes with what God's word is. Now, for years, I have been wanting to show a clip that I've never really found the moment, and this was my week, and I was like, yay, I get to show my clip this week, because I want to show you one of my favorite episodes of TV ever, and um, have you ever seen the person who thought of themselves, you know, you know, people, have you ever met somebody that thought of themselves too highly, all right, you with me? We call that arrogance, pride, conceit, right? Have you ever seen the person who thought of themselves too lowly, right? They were depressed all the time, they were the worm. I just wanted to show you one of my favorite TV clips, and you can tell me when we're all done whether this guy thinks more highly of himself or more lowly of himself than he ought to, all right? Enjoy this moment. It's one of my favorites. Hi, Andy. Hi, boy. Look at that, would you? What's that? My old history book, the one I used way back in the eighth grade. I'll be dog. <laughs> yeah, with all this talk with Opie about how good he's doing in school and all, I got to thinking about my own school, and then I dug that up. <laughs> my old history book. Bernard P. Fife. Hmm. This book belongs to Bernard P. Fife. If lost or stolen, please return to Bernard P. Fife. Signed, Bernard P. Fife. <laughs> Your book? Yeah. Look at the next page. The History of the United States of America. By Bernard P. Fife. <laughs> well, remember how we used to paste our own names over the authors? Oh, yeah. Boy, you've had this a long time. Well, since the eighth grade. Huh. And you want to know something? There's things right there in that book that I learned that I still remember to this day. Oh, come on. To this day. It's amazing how that stuff stays with you. Once you learn something, it never leaves you. It just stays locked up tight right in the old loop. <laughs> Does, huh? Sure. Here, let me show you. <clears throat> Yeah. Constitution of the United States. Now, we had to memorize the preamble of that. Mm. I still remember it. You do? Yeah. Here, I'll show you. Hold the book on me. Okay. <clears throat> All right, go ahead. Constitution of the United States. <laughs> One, just give me the first word, and then I'll know the rest. Okay, we. We. We? We. Are you sure? I'm looking right at it. Oh, we. We! <laughs> the. The. We the. We the. In order. In order. 
to form to a form a more perfect perfect you. you to form a more perfect you. Yeah, yeah, union. In order to form a more perfect union, s s ta ta ble Establish. Establish. Just. Establish just, uh... Test. Test. Just Establish justice. Ensure domestic Ensure tranquility. tranquility. Provide for the common, common defense. defense. Promote the general, general welfare. welfare. And secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity to ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. You want to run through that again, or do you think you got it? I got it. You learn something, you learn it. <laughs> oh. Hi, Barn. You got to love old Barn, right? Barn always thinks of himself pretty highly. Guys, here's the truth of the matter is, any one of us, we are prone to either think of ourselves too highly or too lowly, or I might say it differently. We're prone to be drunk with the thoughts of other things than what the Word says. And the Word tells us who we are. We're going to focus on some scriptures today that I'm going to remind you of, of who you are. But I want you to, here's the big point in that first one. The answer to the question, who am I, should not ever be something that we are getting and coming up with by ourselves. God has an answer to the question. And we ought to be listening to the answer of the question that God says that we are. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think of yourself with sober judgment according to the faith that God has given you. That's that first question. What's God's thought about it? He wants us to think accurately. Here's here's the second question. Um, The second question is, where do you belong? Or where do I belong? Now, remember, Romans 12, 2, renewing our mind. It's really important to get the first answer right. Who am I? Who does God say that I am? In order for you to ever understand the second question, where do I belong? But what God is going to share with us is that we have a role to play, okay? Romans 12, uh, verse 4 and 5. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. What is he saying? He's saying that you and I have different parts, just like the body has different parts, different things in our body that look different ways. You know, on the outside and on the inside, we all have different parts, and therefore we all have different roles. You've been given certain gifts. You've been given certain strengths. Hey, guess what? You have certain weaknesses. You are who you are, and you have a role to play. Matter of fact, write that in there. The reason, why are you to view yourself accurately? The reason is because you have a role to fill, and you've got to be able to figure out what God says, who God says you are, in order to figure out what your role is. And so here's a challenge for you. I want you to do this week. I haven't given out a homework in a, in a long time, a homework during a series. I want you to, just, maybe, maybe in the margin, would you do me a favor? This week, I want you, in an effort to try to have an accurate view of yourself, I want you to write down what you think are your three greatest strengths and your three greatest weaknesses. Write that in the margin there. A little homework exercise. I want you to try to write down your three greatest strengths and your three greatest weaknesses. Now, it's okay if you even want to have a conversation with somebody, you know. Now, you know, have a conversation with your wife or, or your husband. Have a conversation with, you know, somebody who, who is one of your best friends. Have a conversation and then kind of try. Where, what are we talking about? Who do you think you are? 
Are you coming to grips with who you really are? Because here's what I want to tell you, guys. God has a plan for you. He has a purpose for your life. He gave you a personality. He gave you uh, those strengths and those gifts. You have those weaknesses as well. Why does God give us weaknesses, by the way? God wants us to have something that we are working on in our life. He doesn't want us to be arrogant and conceited and drunk with our own thoughts of ourselves. So Everybody's got strengths. Everybody's got weaknesses. You know, I want to tell you, let's go back to that fear and hiding thing, okay, and blaming thing. Can I just tell you that for the longest time, even in my professional ministry, I knew my strengths, but I was afraid to let anybody know my weaknesses. Now, everybody's got weaknesses, but that doesn't matter because really all the rest of the people's weaknesses don't matter to you. You know whose weaknesses matter to you? It's your weaknesses. And I got to tell you guys, um, it was during the year of, uh, remember Y2K, during that year of 1999 and 2000 when I was, uh, I picked up and went with my family up, up into Kentucky to do my doctoral ministry. I got alongside a guy who really helped us begin to really get who we are, you know, apart from what we do in ministry, apart from the churches we build or, or what we're doing for God, like Ross Cooper said, apart from all the performance of, he helped us pull aside and say, now, who are you? God called you in ministry. Who are you? What are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? And then he began to share a new concept. He said, what would happen? What would happen if you took out your weaknesses and you showed them to everybody and then you laughed at them just like, you know, instead of being afraid of, and afraid, afraid of them, what if you held out your weaknesses and you laughed at it? Here's what normally happens. Now you've been honest about what your weaknesses are. And if you can do that with a staff and you can do that showing them what your weaknesses are, now together as a staff you can laugh about it. And as a staff, you can, they can help you shore up your weaknesses. And guess what you'll do? You, by your model, will get them to free up their hiding of their weaknesses. And you know what they'll do? They'll watch you and they'll share their weaknesses and say, you know what, this is my weak areas. i got to have somebody help me in these areas. It was paradigm shifting for me. All right? Now why is that important? Because I could, listen... I could never really fully play the role of pastor, of shepherd, of mentor, of disciple until I came to grips with, you know, it's okay that I've got weaknesses. And it's okay that I've got strengths. And how can I maximize my strengths and laugh and be honest about my weaknesses? Can I just tell you, there's a beautiful thing. There's an amazing thing to really embracing who you are because then you're understanding what role you're supposed to play. And by the way, it's freeing. The leaders of this church will tell you that I'm a big vision person. I know that. And I, make, I, I tell people all the time, I'm not very good at, the, you know, I, I know how to get us from A to E. I need other people to help me get B, C, D, all the way down. They help me process, think through that stuff. I'm not a detail person. I'm a big vision. And so I, 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 I laugh about that with folks, right? And they'll say, there's Stephen again. He's dreaming the big dream. He's running towards the next hill. Yeah, that's me. The leaders of this church will tell you, that's me. That's why I have to laugh at that, right? And I'm so thankful God puts all these other people with their gifts to come alongside me. Listen, Mama. Listen, Daddy. Listen, Grandma and Granddaddy. There's something liberating. And you really understanding that God made you a certain way. And you may never shake those weaknesses. Bring them out in the open. Let folks laugh with them. You laugh at them yourself and say, man, this is, these are my growing edges. This is where I'm trying to grow. I'm going to find the role God has for me because he's given me strengths and purpose and plan and weaknesses. I'm going to know that role. Paul said it this way. Listen, every one of us are part of the body, and none's more important than the others. 
So you figure out who you are, right? And you figure out the role you are to fill. We are one body, and each member belongs to the others. This week, I want to challenge you. Write down your top three, strengths and weaknesses. Flip that outline over. That last question, let's talk about what God's answer is to that one. So what am I supposed to do? Romans 12, uh, verse 6 addresses this. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Now, by the way, let me, can I just hit the pause button here? Let me tell you what Paul's not about to do. He's not about to teach on spiritual gifts and have us to understand all the spiritual gifts. That's not what he's after. What he's after is he wants you to understand that whoever you are, you have gifts. And then he's, he's not trying to be, he's not, he's not playing tricks and games. He's a very commonsensical thing he's about to share. So he, let's start over. He says, we all have different gifts according to the grace given to each one of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. He's saying whatever your gift is, perform and function out of that gift. Figure out that gift. Discover that gift. If you got your pen, maybe you write this one in. Here, here's, here's the practice. Here's how we're supposed to do it. Discover and deploy your gifts. And out of that giftedness, you begin to see what you're supposed to do. You know, I, 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 I'm going to use myself as an example. I, I was raised in a musical family. I come from a family that sings. Uh, not mom and daddy, but man, did I grow up with my older brother singing and my, my older sister sang, and all of a sudden, Stephen was supposed to sing. And so guess what? God gave me the gift of music, and I can actually sing. And um, I'll never forget living into that. I was so nervous. First solo, We Three Kings. Oh, my goodness. And my whole point was, can I do, I, I'm, I'm, I just don't want to embarrass my family, and I want to try to do as good as my older brother. We Three Kings. I think I breathed after every word. We Three Kings. I was so nervous, you know. And, 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 and I was trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do. I wasn't even sure that I was gifted in there in music like my brother and my sister were. I wasn't sure. Fast forward a whole bunch of years. I live my life in a very public eye now. Whether it was music or preaching or leadership or coaching or mentoring, I'm all the time up in front of people just like you. And folks come up to me and they say, Stephen, you know, they, they validate some of my gifts, say you're very good at what you do or this or that or thank you for being or, or don't you get nervous? And the answer to the question is absolutely not. I'm, I, I'm not, I don't ever get nervous no matter how many people I sing in front of or what I do in that realm. Why? Because I figured out that there is a certain thing that I do and, I, and I'm trying to do that thing. Now, there's a lot of things I can't do. There's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of things that I can't do. But I figure out the things that I do. And, and what Paul was saying in that scripture is, listen, whatever you figured out that you're gifted in, it's not, this is not rocket science. Do that thing, you know. And I love it. He's so practical. He says, if, you, if you're a leader, lead. If you're a teacher, teach, <laughs> right? If, if this is what you're gifted in, then function out of that. That's how you figure out what you are supposed to do. Now, some of you guys... You never figured out some of your gifts. You, maybe even some of us never been validated in what we're really gifted at, okay? That's why the body of Christ is so important. If some of you have never done our New Connections class where you take your spiritual gifts test and you figure out what's your gift, hey, listen, you need to get plugged in with God's body because together we're supposed to figure out together what we're good at. We're supposed to affirm and encourage each other in the things that we're gifted towards. So what are, we, what are, what are you doing 
that you know that you're good at? And how can you figure out what you're good at so that you can really employ that and, le- and be a part of the body of Christ and be a part of your family doing that thing that you were gifted to do so well, discovering and deploying the gifts that God's given you. Now, I'm going to close here. And sometimes I say that and talk for 10 minutes. I'm not going to do that today, okay? I- I'm going to close here. But I'm going to say some final things here that I want to plant in your soul from God's Word. And they don't come from Romans 12. But what Romans 12 has done is it's reminded us that we're supposed to have a sober judgment of ourselves, that we have a role to play, and we have certain gifts and strengths and plan and purpose and weaknesses in our life, and that we're supposed to be discovering and deploying our gifts. You see the bottom of that outline? I want, I want to speak God's word into you today. And no matter where you're at, some of you might have your, your thoughts too highly of yourself, and some of you might be thinking too lowly of yourself, Today, I just want to plant something in you that I hope will be with you for the rest of your life, okay? You got your pen? The first one is really answering the question, who am I? God's thoughts about who am I. And where we've got that blank, I want you to write this. This is each and every one of us. God uniquely created you. You are eternally valuable. You're one of a kind. God made you different from everybody else. And here's the cool thing. Listen, you're just not valuable while you live here. He made you of eternal value. A scripture, you might want to write in the margin of that little first point that I'm trying to plan in you today, is Psalm 139. And maybe you just go read that scripture this week. You know what Psalm 139 says about you? Psalm 139 says that before you were ever born, God was already planning your life. Before you were ever born, when you were in your mother's womb, you were fearfully and wonderfully made. I like saying it like this. God don't make mistakes. And if your images of God, one time, you know, he was in the lab and he was putting all the, you know, the test tubes together and then he dropped one and it exploded on the ground and he went, oops, you know, and you think that's you, the mistake, that's not who you are. Okay, it's just not who you are. You are of eternal value, and there was one of a kind. And when God was making you, he made you intentional and purpose-filled. He gave you, listen, grab this. He gave you your personality. He gave you your gifts. He gave you the things that are in you. He placed you in a family, whether you want to accept that or not. And this is, then he, the Psalm 139 says, and he ordained your steps before you. And he put a path before you to walk in. And he gave you purpose to live towards. Listen, don't ever let somebody tell you you're not of eternal worth. You are a unique creation of God. And God gave you eternal value. So much so that he died for you. I hope you can grab a hold of that. Second thing, that's that's a little bit. you 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 ever struggle with who am I? Go back to Psalm 139. Who am I? Psalm 139. Get God's thoughts. God's thoughts of you, all right? Look at that next one I'm writing. I'm just planning something in you today, okay? The next one is simply this. God placed you in his family. You are unconditionally accepted. Now, this is that place where, where do I fit? What's my role? And here's what, I, here's what I want to remind you of, that you are a part of God's family. One of my, one of my favorite prayers, if not my favorite, it's probably right there with John 15. One of my favorite prayers of the Bible, right in your margin right there, Ephesians chapter 3. Paul prays for the people of Ephesus. You know what he prays over them? He says this. He says, my prayer for you is that you would be able to one day 
grasp the height and the depth and the breadth and the length of God's great love for you. So much so that he would die for you. And guys, if we could just get that, if you could get that, that that God loves me so much that he died for me, then you would understand like Ross stood here. It's not about what you do. It's not about you performing this week. Oh, I hope you get five stars this week. I hope you get an A plus in how you live this week. For God, he's moved beyond that. He loves you. And his love is wide and deep and long and high. And if you could just get that, Paul said, it would root everything else different. In your, it, it would bear fruit in your life totally different. If you could just get that, grasp that. Who do you think you are? Have you really grasped that you are loved and unconditionally accepted by the one who flung the stars in space? Have you grabbed that? <laughs> My hope is that that answers the question, hmm, where do I belong? I'm in God's family. He brought me into his family. I'm to be in God's family. And then here's that third thing I want to plant inside of you. Write this one down. God gifted you to fulfill his purpose. You are irreplaceably significant. I chose those words very specially. You are irreplaceably significant. And here's the deal. Uh, By the way, you might write in the margin on this one, Ephesians 2, verse 10, which said that you are are God's workmanship. You're his poema. You are his opus. You're his sonnet. You are God's beautiful thing that he is creating to do good works in you so that you can do good works in the world. What I want to talk to you about here is, listen, I, I know we hear it all the time. You know, everybody is replaceable. No, nobody, nobody can't be replaced, right? Here's what I want to tell you. According to God's word, according to his word for you, you are his poem. You're his sonnet. You're different than any other one he's ever done. You are irreplaceable significant. I remember as a, as a young Christ follower, when I started trying to grasp this, I began to ask some questions of God. I said, God, are you saying that there's some things you put on the planet for me to do? Now, get this big question. This is a big question. There's some things you put on the planet for me to do that nobody else can do it like me? And he said, yes, yes. And I was going, wait a minute, that changes everything. And I want to speak that over you today. And in you, listen, there's there's a work and a good thing that God's done in you that nobody else on the planet can do like you. So listen, don't be drunk on mom and daddy's thoughts or the world's thoughts or that boss that didn't like you. Don't get that junk. You figure out who you are. And the best way to do that is go back to God's word. Psalm 139 says you are fearfully and wonderfully made and God's got a plan and purpose for your life. Ephesians chapter 3 says that the love of Christ is high and big and wide and deep and that he died for you. Grasp that and you'll figure out where you fit in. In Ephesians 2 says, listen, he's still writing the sonnet of your life. He's still writing the poem for you. And it's different than any other one he's ever written. So live into that. Lean into that. Because that will tell you how you're supposed to live. Listen, here's what I know. I'm going to pray for you. Here's what I know. I know this figuring yourself out thing is kind of hard. I know. 
But here's what I also know. If you're really ever going to get the answer to those questions right, you can't be drunk on what the world says. You can't be drunk on your own vain imaginations. You can't be drunk on listening to your employees or your latest work evaluation. You can't get drunk on that stuff. You have to go to God's word and say, God, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And then you have to try to live that out every day. Live in that. Lean into that. That's my prayer for you. Would you bow your heads and let's pray together? God, somebody came to church today needing to know your great love for them. Somebody came to church today needing to know you still got a plan and a purpose. Somebody came to church today, Lord, needing to hear that you put your arm around them and that you are, you're writing through them your great path and your great plan. And Lord, I pray today that Romans 12 would be active and alive in our lives. I pray you'd give a sober judgment about us. And I pray that you would let what you spoke in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, bleed over into Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Renew our minds today so that we can really understand who we are and help every parent in this place begin to dream your dreams for their children and, and help their children live out of that, who they are. God, help us to live as your children who have answers to these questions because your word has told us who we are. Thank you, God, for your good word in our lives. Help us live in it. Help us walk in it this week, I pray. And Lord, in the next few minutes as we give towards your kingdom game, we pray that you would take our tithes and our offerings and maybe even some of our, our gifts to the renovation of this house, that you would take them, God, and that you would use them to keep expanding the ministry of this church beyond just the Henry County area and, and, and Jackson and Spalding County. But Lord, help these gifts go towards not only the ministry we do here, but across the world. And Lord, remind us that it's an awesome thing to be invited to partner with you in ministry. Because that's what we're doing in the next few minutes as we give. We are partnering in your ministry. And in many ways, even as we give, we are praying in accordance with what you taught your disciples to pray. That your kingdom would come on this earth just as it is coming in heaven. Lord, may it be so. We give to your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray.